So usually it's just me on these things, but I got to have a great conversation with uh, with Benedict Dyke from userlist.io. So uh, anyways, here it is. Hope you uh, hope you enjoy it. Where I got my start in web development was making band websites, which I I heard from um, the Slow and Steady podcast. You're saying that that's also where you got your start. Yeah, that was also my my start. <laughs> How did that come about initially? Um, well, I guess I started. I, I think it was like uh, 2000 or so, year 2000, beginning of the millennium, more or less. Um, I got this book about like building websites, and I just picked it up in a store. It was like I don't know, some random book. It was probably it was probably a shitty book, but it was enough to, to get me started. And um, from that, I started building websites, and eventually. Sure, you build websites for stuff you like. And of course, that's where the bands come in. I got lucky back then that there was a a local metal band that was also running a local festival. So I just offered them to build their festival website. And that led to me building their band website. And that led to me reaching out to other bands and building their websites as well. And so, so that's that's how I got started. Uh, awesome. So how old were you at that at that time? 15, 16, something like that. I don't quite remember. Yeah, 15 probably. Yeah, yeah. So what would you have been using to build the sites then at that, at that time? Um, back then, like this book I bought, it was, would, um, would suggest that I learn Perl. But I had a friend who was like, no, 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 don't, don't learn Perl. Try this new thing called PHP. And I was like, okay, yeah, that looks a lot easier. Let's try that one. <laughs> I, I basically got started with programming in PHP. I did some like dabbling around in basic before that, but like, yeah, that doesn't really count. I, I, I think the first program I wrote was, please enter a number, please enter another number. The sum of those two numbers is whatever, <laughs> exit. But like with PHP, I started in like, building real stuff that actually worked <laughs> the the great thing and the terrible thing about php is that you can just put everything in a file you got html in there and css and javascript and and your php and you're able to get going and like see something on the screen and and and, and that is obviously why php has gotten a lot of flack over the years too because you can have all these things in a template yeah. file. so uh after the band websites how long after that was stage cms born from getting started with band websites to launching that product, it took me about 10 years. I made a lot of mistakes, like the classic example of trying to do a rewrite of this crappy CMS and then building all the features, but not the core features. And I had fancy user authentication and the fancy permission system, but like nothing to actually manage the content of the band website. I think it was when I, when I started building it uh, in, in Ruby and Ruby on Rails and also, me going into Ruby on Rails was basically looking for a new tool set to be more efficient and have more guidelines and stuff like that that right. led me into Ruby on Rails. But even then, I remember a time back when I when I had my first full time job, I would I would work on it on the side, so it was like nights and weekends, mostly weekends because I was too tired after work. <laughs> Whenever I got to it, it was like, oh, there's a new update uh, of an dependency. Let's update it. Oh, something broke. I have to fix it. <laughs> of course. It, it was a year of not making any progress on features, but only getting it into a usable state. 
whenever I get back to it and stuff like that. Like I made so many mistakes over those 10 years. And then again, but also learned a lot. Um, and eventually I was able to launch it. Uh, so launching that, was that like you had uh, bands that you had already done work for that were waiting to jump on this platform you were working on? Or was it kind of like you're starting from scratch? So I had this one band that I wanted to migrate to the new system eventually. And they had a lot of like advanced features they needed, like um, they needed a website to be in multiple languages and have a nice layout and design and stuff like that. So they weren't actually the first one that I migrated over, but I used them as a basically a gateway to to other to other bands and pitching the simpler version to other bands. And I think the first website that was on the new system was the website of a, a YouTube channel. They were doing like um, metal covers of pop songs. I just reached out to them and asked them, "Hey, do you want a free website? I'll build you one." And eventually moved over to this new system and their requirements of course were super simple it was basically a one pager and i used that as a stepping stone to add more features and get more advanced and then onboard new new bands and eventually when it was mature enough i was able to migrate that one one large band over and um but that's about it like <laughs> those early customers are pretty much the only customers I ever got. In a business sense, it wasn't a success at all. <laughs> <laughs> when I got into software development, my tendency or, or the draw was I want to build something for bands. And I had like a mentor at the time who's like, don't build things for musicians. They don't have any money. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, I've never paid for anything as a musician. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's tricky. So this was kind of like your first taste of like a SaaS project then with some services built in there because you're also like designing sites for them. Yeah, that was, I think that's what also was one of the mistakes that the system was too powerful for people to just sign up and use it. It was also always with some kind of service component. I'd partner with a designer and they come up with a really fancy website design and we'd build that and then integrate it and then hand it over and the brands would be able to to manage the content, post news and stuff. But like getting there took like ages and the sales cycles. I remember one band, I think from the time I started talking to them, to them actually signing up and launching their website, it was like two years or so. Oh, so man. that's, <laughs> and then they were paying like, I don't know, uh, uh, 79 euros a month or so. And that just like, if you think about it, it doesn't make, it doesn't make a lot of sense to do it. Yeah, it takes a long time to pay for pay for the time that you spent. Yeah. What were you using to accept payments? Was Stripe a thing yet? The moment I got there, Stripe was finally launched. So okay. it wasn't okay. more. Awesome. Pre-Stripe, the only integration, like payments integration I had to do um, was in WordPress. So I just installed like a plugin, you know, like a Woo, the WooCommerce and then it used PayPal to accept payments or saved the credit card information right into the database, which is like Beautiful. crazy to think about now. <laughs> Tell me about user list. When somebody asks you what it is, how do you, how do you explain it to them? Um, user list is a tool to automate your customer messaging based on the customer's behavior. Um, so we are specifically targeting software as a service applications. And you probably know it when you sign up for one of those tools, 
usually get a bunch of emails with an onboarding sequence telling you how to use the product. And we're basically building a tool for that, but we want it to be a little bit smarter so it doesn't send like just a time-based campaign that's stupid and doesn't take into account that you already used everything they're trying to explain to you. Yeah. So we're encouraging people to track a little bit of your behavior and then adjust the campaigns based on that. So you only get stuff that really matters and not the useless stuff you already know about. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So, so you, you were working on stage CMS and then also doing consulting work when mm-hmm. yeah. um, was it Jane that approached you with the user list idea initially. Yeah. So, um, I met Jay, first met Jane in uh, in the Megameter community. We've known about each other for quite a while. And uh, I think now it's like three years ago or something like that. She was starting to, um, to move into software as a service as well, like building her own product. Before that, she was mostly doing consulting work and wrote a couple of eBooks and stuff like that. But she wanted to build like a software product. And... I don't remember quite how we got to talk about it, but I was basically saying, yeah, hey, if you need help building that, <laughs> I'm here. I, I, you can hire me. Um, so she hired me to build that product for her. And in that process, we were exactly at that stage where we needed to like user list. And back then we used Intercom because it actually has like a similar functionality. It's, it's one of those add-ons you can buy for Intercom. I don't know how it's how they call it these days, but it's kind of smart messaging or something like that, where you can set up rules like that. I mean, Intercom is, is super powerful and it has a lot of tools in there and it can do a lot of stuff, but it was a little bit too much. So already when we built Tiny Reminder back then, that was the product she was building. We kind of wish there was a simpler solution that would just do the messaging really well and you wouldn't want to have the, the live chat and stuff like that, just the messaging component. So, and I think after about a year or so, she she was approached by someone who was interested in buying uh, buying Tiny Reminder. And she was like, yes, yes, <laughs> let's move on to something else. <laughs> Basically, she got rid of it and came came up with the idea of, hey, let's build this tool that we, we were missing back then. And she approached me back then and, and asked if I'd be interested. And working with her, with her was so much fun that it wasn't, an, wasn't a hard choice to say yes. And at the same time, she reached out to, to Claire Salentrop, um and asked her to join as like the marketing expert because it was obvious that we need some, some marketing help. I, I think Jane had a short list and she was on the top. And luckily, she also said yes. And and so yeah, then we got started building building this company together. Yeah, I uh, I've I've been working on stuff solo, and uh, so you kind of have to wear every hat, and mm-hmm. uh, you just like stuff just falls through the cracks. Like my tendency is to just like keep building things and and not talk yeah. to people, <laughs> and and so uh, <laughs> yeah, I could definitely see how having somebody in each of those like you've got this like strong designer. Uh, and Jane and marketing and Claire and and then yourself spearheading the development, just like a dream team there. Yeah, that that it very much felt that way, and it still does. Uh, just having like all the weaknesses leveled out, <laughs> I guess. So there's someone there's someone who can pick it up and uh, be good at that part where you have no idea. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you said that 
user list came out of a scratching your own itch kind of a thing. You guys ran into this issue yeah. and you're like, hey, let's let's solve this. And the problem that I've found is like, it's hard to know when I'm scratching an itch that's itchy enough. Mm. <laughs> you yeah. know? So so at what point did you guys realize like, okay, this is like this is a big problem. This isn't just something that um we're dealing with. So one of the decision like one of the factors that that um played into it uh, was that it's not like a new market. There are similar tools out there already. And we were very deliberate about that, uh, not trying to come up with something new, but something that's where there's already a proven market. Um, it comes with its own challenges because like now there are a couple of other tools that people compare us to and it doesn't make it... Right. In some way, it doesn't make it easier, but in the other way, you don't have to explain that much what are what you're doing and why people need a tool like this. So it's like a double-edged sword in a, in a way. Mm -hmm. what, we, what we also did, and that was mostly Claire, um, she did a lot of customer interviews early on, uh, talking to SaaS founders about this particular problem and how they handle it. And that helped a lot to, well, kind of validate our assumptions that mm -hmm. this is all that would be useful, at least to some. Uh, it was also one, one other result from, from those interviews was that it has to be the right time and the right size of company um, to make sense. Because like when you're just starting out, it's way better to just send those emails yourself and do personalized outreach and just stay right. in close contact with your customers. Right. But once you start scaling up and it, becomes a little bit too overwhelming to do all of them by hand, then that's a good good time to switch to a tool to like user list. And those learnings were direct results of uh, out of those interviews in the early phase. Right. Okay. And and how did she how did she find those potential customers? A lot of them were just from our network. Um, just reaching out to people we know, being open about it on Twitter also helped. Uh, and whenever someone would be interested in, in it, we'd basically ask them if they'd be interested in doing doing a call, uh, talking about their experience and stuff like that. If you were to give kind of suggestions on building that network, where like how did that happen for you, and what would you suggest people do to to build that? Yeah, just be out there. I mean, it doesn't come overnight, and I don't think there's a there's a silver bullet. It's just being part of a community being part of conversations, going to conferences, meeting people, um, joining like joining Slack groups like the Mega Maker community is a good place to start. Just, yeah, I got a lot of relationships out of that and just meeting people and talking to them is, uh, is the best way to go, I guess. It just takes a long time. But I mean, in the end, it's friendships and connections and eventually those come in uh, useful. Okay. Okay. Awesome. So, uh, yeah, and, you know, and that's, and that's kind of like, it's, it's kind of nice when there aren't growth hacks because it's like, yeah, it just takes time. But the nice thing about it taking time is that it, it also isn't all going to disappear in a day. Yeah. Like it's not just like people you tricked into looking at your website or whatever the day, you know, yeah, starting a podcast is also a good idea to build a network as you probably noticed. <laughs> um, <laughs> conferences so uh microconf is that have you have you been to that one i've been to 
a couple of microconf Europe's like uh, the European edition and okay. yeah just like going there a couple of times helps a lot with building the network because it's like a super super open community it's it's unlike other conferences especially unlike tech conferences where in in a break everyone is just standing there by themselves not talking to anyone <laughs> uh, or you right. just have those those uh group of uh, i don't know um colleagues that are talking between each other and it's very hard to join uh microconf is not that way at all it's like you can basically walk up to anyone and start talking to them and it's not weird and usually you have a topic to talk about it's a super welcoming community and conference and once you go there a couple of times like in multiple multiple years after each other you meet a lot of lot of people again and again and that's that's how you get friends and um yeah then just going out to dinner with them and uh, having a good time helps to build those relationships in normal life trying to explain what you do to people is just like it's really difficult and um but when you're with entrepreneurs it's like therapeutic it's like there's always everyone's like dealing with the same issues and like uh like last night i was at an indie hackers meetup here in in vancouver and mm -hmm. and it was just like oh these are my people they just automatically have so much in common okay so uh so user list for you what has kind of been the biggest difference working on user list from working on stage cms well having the team is definitely a big difference um for one i don't have to take care about a, like of a lot of stuff like as you said when you're alone you have to basically do everything and now I can focus on my strength and uh, be heads down with development. I mean, yeah, still looking up from time to time, <laughs> checking checking customer <laughs> support or, or even doing some marketing and stuff like that. But it's way more spread out now between the three of us, and that makes it a lot easier. And also just having, like just having someone else on the team makes it easier. So things are always moving forward even when you're currently not working on it right and it helps a lot with keeping the motivation up and uh yeah just seeing progress is is motivating and then it's easier to get back into it where when previously with stage sometimes i wouldn't work on it for for months because i was busy with consulting work and then it comes to a hard stop and basically you have to go back in and just build up the momentum again and get things rolling and that that was sometimes was really hard. So I'm enjoying, I'm enjoying having, having a team that, that helps keep it going. You're working remotely. Has there been any downsides to having co-founders like that and, and kind of working in different, in different places and different time zones, I'm assuming as well. Well, time zones, yeah, time zones are an issue, but it's not that bad. We are not that far apart. So, um, what made things really complicated was that we are from three different uh, countries. So incorporating was an interesting challenge. <laughs> and um, yeah, there's still, we're constantly running into, into some bumps with that because like we weren't able to use Stripe Atlas, for example. We had to do it all by ourselves. Getting a bank account wasn't easy. Uh, and we still have issues to resolve around that. Uh, there's constantly something that, yeah, as a side effect of our particular co-founder situation. One downside of having three three co-founders, <laughs> the, 
the revenue goal or uh, the profit goal is way higher than when you're just going alone. Has there been any like super stressful moments yet between the three of you? Like uh, in terms of personal connection? Or um, I, I guess like, I guess like, uh, yeah, like conflict wise. Nothing big so far. Um, I think when we first started out, we, we basically made sure that our values are somewhat aligned right? Um, and that our goals are somewhat aligned. So we pretty much agreed that we want to do this more or less on the side while still being able to consult and earn money that way because it was obvious. I mean, it's a SaaS. It will take years until it's it's sustaining the three of us. Like assuring when we started out that we are somewhat aligned made it easier. And um, I think the fact that we trust each other and value each other's contribution makes it easier to avoid conflict. Like, of course, some of us from time to time screws up. I shipped a bunch of uh, broken code from time to time. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes it happens. So far, we've been good. I hope it stays that way. Um, and we really try to be like open in our communication and not blame people. But yeah, when stuff comes up, talk about it and always assume good intentions. Uh, no one is here to to break stuff deliberately. So that makes it easier. Right, right. One of the episodes of the slow, of slow and steady, you said that there was kind of a an infrastructure. Uh, issue that you ran into at one point with a, a larger customer that signed up for a trial and had just like a, mm-hmm. a ton of data. Do you wake up to that or did you like all of a sudden you got a notification on your computer? Like how did, what did that, that scenario look yeah, like? Yeah, I did wake up to that, but it took me a couple hours to realize what was going <laughs> on. <laughs> I think it was like three or four days before our official launch. And um, we already had it, had signups open, but behind the um, email capture form. So you sign up for the mailing list and then we send you a link to sign up. And someone signed up with a very popular pl- product, uh, obviously, and um, connected their segment integration and just flooded our system with data. Oh, and man. that's when things, st- things started falling over on the back end a little bit. And... Um, yeah, that's, that was a stressful situation, but not not with my co-founders, but just with, <laughs> okay, with okay. the performance situation, yeah. Right. You you mentioned in the episode that you you feel like you kind of snapped at Jane. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean... <laughs> a little bit. Yes, um, I did. Uh, <laughs> if you've ever been in a situation where things are on fire and then someone comes up with some entirely unrelated and, and requires your attention for that, and yeah, it's easy to to snap a little bit. It was on on Slack, so it was only in written form, and I hope it wasn't too. I didn't use any curse words, I think. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, learning from that is just when things things are on fire, just tell everyone so everyone's on the same page. And right. Once I told her, she she totally understood that it wasn't a good time to discuss this new feature because like the existing <laughs> features didn't work as expected. And mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, Slack, Slack is great, but like the internet is learning, uh, getting those constant notifications um, just whenever can be pretty, uh, pretty yeah. frustrating. Um, like, don't you know what I'm working on? Like, of course not. <laughs> yeah. I'm not standing there looking at you. Like, yeah, exactly. that's, 
exactly your problem she how would she know that i'm uh, i i'm really focused right now and have to concentrate on fixing this right so, yeah right and so communication wise do you guys have like uh daily check-ins or how does how does that work uh we do a weekly call um okay where we discuss uh, issues. Uh, we usually plan ahead of time, like we have a, a board in Asana where we collect topics for the next call and then try to walk through those and, and discuss what we're going to do next and stuff like that. We also use that. Uh, so like the first uh, item in the agenda is always fun facts, where we collected a long list of weird questions that we answer just to yeah just to get to know each other a little bit more and have mm -hmm. conversations about us outside of what we're working on and that's been been super helpful and interesting and sometimes funny to to learn to learn funny things about the others and sharing sharing stories and sometimes you realize hey you have an overlap there or right. different something Man, that sounds like a that sounds like a Slack app that you could easily do really well with in this kind of remote working age. Yeah, maybe. But then again, I, I really like the. I think it's important to do the calls as well uh, because, like, just asking, uh, just answering those questions on Slack is. Yeah, I mean, I guess it would work. But like seeing each other and laughing together is it's definitely fun. Right, right. So, so you said that you use Asana. So, you're using that for for like bug tracking and feature development and everything. Yeah, we basically use it for everything. Uh, I think bugs. Yeah, bugs we track in GitHub issues just because it's easier to close them via commit message. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's the only reason. And for everything else, right now we're using Asana. Not sure if we'll stay with it forever, but it's like. It's easy enough. It's uh, flexible enough to just work for everything right now. Right, yeah. right. Um, what about uh, bug bug reports? So customer says that there's an issue. What's the process look like for that? Um, usually, go in and try to fix it right away. Right. And only if it's like a bigger issue, then I open a ticket in GitHub and and save it for okay. later. Okay. All right, and then. Um, And then do you use, I don't, I haven't, I don't, didn't see intercom. I feel like you don't use intercom. No, we're not using intercom. <laughs> <laughs> How does that feel like having this huge competitor? Yeah, that's like, it's really tough to compete with them. Um, and sometimes we win customers who are upset by the complexity or maybe even just the price. Mm -hmm. But sometimes we lose customers to intercom because it's like this, one one tool fits all uh solution for like automated messaging chat customer support mm -hmm. user management so it's very hard to compete with them on that part and i don't think we can ever pull it off like to fully like and i think we don't even want to be fully feature complete but um Yeah, it makes it it makes it tough. It's all it, it usually comes up in every dis discussion. Yeah, how is this different from intercom? Right. And then usually it's yeah, it isn't. It's just simpler. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, and you know what? The so I pay for intercom, but I only pay for chat because uh, like I just went into the dashboard the other. Well, I was on the early stage that early stage program, so you get a year at forty five dollars a month for everything, uh, and then I got an email. Hey, we're upgrading your account. 
and it's going to be $600 a month. <laughs> I'm like, mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's not going to happen. <laughs> so, so I had to go in and cancel every, all the feature, like all the tools I was using. And even if I just want to send messaging, it's 200 bucks a month of an add on mm -hmm. for me. And it's like, yeah. I just can't do that. But I haven't switched away yet because the design to me is just so much better than everything else. Now, that being said, like, I feel like user list is so far what I've seen is just like beautiful. So that, that I feel like is a, is a, is a really nice differentiator right off the bat. And I know you guys are working on chat. How is that going? Yeah, we're not building chat. Um, we're just building in that messaging. So, oh, okay. um, like, because like from the conversations we did early on, it was, it became obvious that a lot of people don't like the chat component, especially like smaller teams, because it requires a lot of attention. I mean, who knows what will come in the future, but for now, we're just building in basically pop-up messages one way that you can just like send updates to your user and not have a back channel. What a lot of our customers are using these days is uh, basically a combination of user list for outgoing messages and then um, help scout for customer support. And they recently released this chat widget as well. So if you really want to do chat without... Um, Without intercom, that's like one combination that could work for you. Right. Well, and I mean, I uh, now that you mention it, it's not chat that I like. It's just that people can get in touch with me really easily. Um, mm, so yeah, and, and it's it's I've even looked in the past for a solution where it it feels more like they're sending an email so that they don't think I'm going to respond right away. Mm. Um, yeah, being a day job, I don't. I'm not going to respond to you within an hour. Um, which some people are very frustrated about. <laughs> so it uh, doesn't happen a lot, but enough. So you guys took uh, two years you were working on it before even having like a early release phase. Is that right? Um, I think we worked about a year on it before we started opening up to first users. Um, and then it took almost a year, not quite a year, but... Um, one and a half in total, I guess, uh, to, to launch it. Yeah. Okay. So, so in that, in that first year, what was kind of the bulk of the, the work? Well, a lot of time went into the first research and, um, like just like the interviews and stuff and then just building it took quite a lot of work. I definitely underestimated that, but, <laughs> um, as always, <laughs> but like just, just building this platform at the same time, making sure that I make enough money to pay rent and stuff like by consulting and uh, doing other projects. But yeah, I mean, that's how it is. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. One of the things that entrepreneurs are good at is kind of overlooking the potential roadblocks, which is also, mm -hmm. it tur turns out to be a bad thing as well. Once you get into things and you're like, Oh shoot, I didn't, I really didn't think about how hard this would be. <laughs> so Okay. So, and you said you guys did a lot of like customer interviews and stuff in the beginning. Were, were, was all three of you doing customer interviews or was it just Claire? I think it was just Claire, to be honest. But what we did, she recorded all the interviews and we listened to the, to the interviews as well. So okay. we try, at least try to, to stay up to date on what was going on. And she did a really good job then later on analyzing all the interviews, transcribing them first, and then pulling out key insights. And that was super valuable just to 
be able to look at the raw data and see the common patterns and stuff like that. Awesome. So, so then you went into an early stage phase after that first year. Um, why did you decide to do that instead of just like just kind of launching it? Um, mostly because we're not, we weren't super confident about how the platform would perform and we wanted to start slowly and like just bring in people one by one and see how things behave and how things scale. Uh, we even like for the first couple of weeks or even months, we had all the systems running and pretending to send messages, but not sending messages just to be sure that the system was working how we wanted to. Back then we had this one issue where we accidentally sending one email instead of just to customers of that one account to customers of all accounts. <laughs> not good. So it went out to them or it, it... I think we accidentally sent like two emails or so, but it could have been much, much worse. But because like we rolled it out incrementally and made sure that things are working properly, um, a lot of emails were intended to be sent, but like not did not actually get sent. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And I've definitely done that. Accidentally sent an email to like a hundred people or whatever that just says testing one, two, three. <laughs> and they get back to me, hey Josh, I got this. I don't know why you said this to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's fun. So so what do you use for sending email? Is there is there a tool like SendGrid or Mailgun that you guys are using or yeah, we're using Spark Post under the hood to okay. do the delivery. Yeah. Okay. How is how is the integration there? How is that process? It's pretty straightforward. It's basically an HTTP endpoint, and we we do most of the rendering and uh, generating that email on our side, and then just send it to their endpoint. So during the early stage, you guys were doing demos. What was kind of the major takeouts that you you had from that? It very much influenced like our roadmap and what features we were going to build next. And those those conversations were super helpful to hear direct feedback from potential customers and hear what they liked, what they didn't like, and what was important to them and what wasn't important to them. In a way, it was like an extension of those customer interviews we did early on. So a lot of the like a lot of the time in the demos was actually spent on us asking them questions. And only a short amount was spent on actually showing them the application and, and walking them through it. So right. it was more like a customer interview in disguise than, yeah. than a demo. So then you do you did the launch recently. How how long ago was that? Uh, about four weeks. Okay, okay. And it did really well on Product Hunt. I know that you guys did a, a post about about the launch. So I'll just link to that so we don't have to go too into detail there. But uh since then, has it been like a, a lot more people that you're all of a sudden having to um, facilitate or how do, what does that look like? Um, it's a little bit more, but it's not like that people are storming in and uh, running, knocking down the fences and stuff. Uh, what was interesting, we got a lot of, I want to say, low quality signups on launch day. And I think none of them converted eventually. But in the following days, we got more serious signups um, from, and some of them already converted and stuff. But like from launch day, it was, I think a lot of people just signed up to get a look inside and 
with no real intention of ever using it. Right. Okay. Okay. All right. So, uh, so now you guys are live. Can I ask what the MRR is or are you guys kind of keeping that to yourselves right now? We are currently not sharing that. So you can okay. ask, but I'm not going to answer. <laughs> okay. Okay. What about, uh, you were saying like, there's a certain point, kind of a ramen profitable point. What is, what would that be for you guys? Have you figured out the number? And when you get to that place, you can all kind of go full time on it. Uh, we haven't talked about it. I guess it's 30,000 in profits or so to be able to split it between the three of us. Right. Maybe a little bit less than that, but that would doesn't certainly be my goal to, to make it worthwhile. Right, right. Because uh, right, so right now you're all doing consulting work at the same time as building user list. Yeah. Um, so what what is that? Uh, what does that look like for you? How do you balance the two at the same time? Because I think a lot of like I know myself, and I know a lot of people are trying to balance a day job or or uh, you know freelance work or whatever. How is that being? Yeah, that's the ongoing challenge, I guess. Um, these days, I try to do like time blocks of like three days a week user list and two days consulting. Okay. Sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. In the last weeks before the launch, I was basically 100% on user list and didn't have anything anything else going on the side. In the two and a half years before that, it was basically, yeah, off and on uh, sometimes, like squeezing user list in whenever there's a, there's a right. way to do it. But sometimes I wouldn't get anything done for a couple of weeks and then, but then have a week where I make a lot of progress and then back to consulting. So it's always... Yeah, it's always a struggle and I don't have a a magic recipe. Just... <laughs> yeah, but but I'm sure like splitting up the days like that helps a little bit um, so that you're able to kind of departmentalize. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. yeah, no, this is this is great. Thank you very much. That that this is uh like super insightful. Uh where where can people check you guys out, check out the products? So the product is at userlist.io. Um, we're also on Twitter with the same name. Yeah. If you want to follow along, uh, in the future, then slow and steady podcast.com is the place to be. Um, and yeah, thanks for putting on, putting us on, on your, uh, what was it? The ramen games, uh, list of podcasts. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ramen games. Uh, I'll link to that as well. Nice. Thanks so much, Benedict. Uh, really appreciate your time. Have a, have a great day and Look forward to chatting again soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was this was a this was a lot of fun. Um, hope we meet again in the future. Yeah, absolutely.